This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigavon. Joining me as usual, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you? Good, Wally. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much. Also joining us this morning, uh, former uh, Washington Capitol, Toronto Maple Leaf, Buffalo Sabre, and uh, maybe a cup of coffee somewhere else. I can't remember. Lou, our good friend, Lou Franceschetti. Good morning, Lou. How are you? Good morning, Roy. I'm a little tired today. Uh, I guess when you uh, said you're a little tired, I guess you're asking me to pursue that further and ask you why you're tired. So if it's if it's something that you can relay on the airwaves and uh, it's a family show, be my guest, Lou. Tell us why you're tired. Uh, it's just a tough day staying at home all day watching college football right from 12 o'clock right till midnight. Yeah, it's pretty tough, isn't it? Um Anyways, a lot uh, we'll of get, points scored in college football. Yeah, there certainly was. I, I, I'll get right back to that, guys. Just want to tell our listeners uh, today we're gonna. The Buffalo Bills are off to their best start in a long, long time. I'm sure, Nez, you can tell us how long it's been since they've been four and zero at the beginning of the season. I think it was 2008. Not sure. Excitement in Western New York and in Southern Ontario, and who better to talk about that with than the voice of the Buffalo Bills, John Murphy. And later on in the hour, uh, minor hockey, uh, GTHL, the largest minor hockey league in the world, is uh, shut down till January. And uh, Sean Fitzgerald, senior writer for The Athletic. If you don't read The Athletic, I highly recommend it. It's great, great sports journalism. Some of the best sports writers around. Uh, we're privileged to have this morning with us. Sean Fitzgerald wrote an article last week about the shutdown of the GTHL and its effects uh, in a lot of different ways. So we're thrilled to talk about that. Uh, take it back to what you guys uh, uh, broached the subject. Uh, yes, a lot of points uh, yesterday in college football. It seems like the offenses have the upper hand over the defenses. So, Naz, I'll let you, I'll let you run with that one. Go ahead. Well, Alabama, I think, won 60-48 or something like that. A lot of points scored in that game. Just Offense all over the place. College football, for sure. Well, uh, Lou, I know you're a big Bama fan. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the Fighting Irish guy. Uh, I got a battle with you two guys. Uh, I don't have, I don't have backup this morning. I don't have, I don't have Joe Bowen or Mike Wilson or my, uh, my, my Fighting Irish backup. Uh, but uh, you know, the the Irish back off their COVID uh, postponement. Uh, Florida State last night. Uh, Huge amount of offense in that game as well. Uh, Notre Dame defense didn't particularly impress me, but uh, they are currently ranked fifth in the nation. They'll probably move up because number four, Florida lost uh, lost last night. I guess Bama's in the number two slot. Are they not? Clemson number one. Luke? 
No, I think uh, Bama's going to move, move down to number three right now. Uh, Georgia, I think Georgia's defense for, is way ahead of everybody else. They're going to move up to number two, and they they more or less they uh, put a stamp uh, on a great defensive game uh, last night. You know what? It, it just seems like every team right now in, in college football is, is going to offense, and that's the flavor. Uh, the, the, the the amount of scoring was just unbelievable. I was watching the Texas Texas Oklahoma game Oklahoma. last night, and they almost scored, I think, a close to a hundred points. Uh, the Alabama and and Mississippi game, it was a uh, the defense that put a stop in a couple of times it was the only reason that Alabama won. Uh, when you roll up over five hundred point or five hundred yards on a regular basis, uh, it seems like. Everybody is leaning towards uh, the offensive style, and the offensive coordinators are geniuses. They, 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 they set up great game plans uh, on a regular basis. Um, certainly, uh, in college football, the the offenses are ruling the roost right now. Uh, uh, they're headed. I don't know how they're gonna how they're gonna do the college football playoff. Is that uh, guys? Are you aware if they made a determination on uh, on? Uh, on is that going to happen? The bowl games? Uh, have, I haven't thought that far ahead. But uh, you guys have any uh, any sense on the college football playoff? The big nothing has changed there, Wally. Uh, everything's a goal. Uh, but, how do you, but how do you fit the Big Ten in in the Pac-12? Who are starting? Who are starting later? Well, if they go eight, if they go eight and zero, if they go uh, ten and zero, that they're going to be qualified. Right now, Ohio State is ranked. I think. Uh, Sixth or seventh, fifth or sixth, yeah. something, well, something in that range. Yeah, uh, Penn State's up there in the top twenty. Uh, they got Oregon in the top twenty. They got, uh, I think, Wisconsin's in, top, in the top twenty right now. It just not to show you how weak the other teams are that are in the top twenty for these teams to be actually put in the top in that stage uh, before they even play a game. Anyways, guys, I want to move on because it was it was. Uh, a uh, fascinating week in the hockey world, and we'd be remiss if we didn't get a, a little bit of a discussion in on our beloved Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, interesting week for uh, for Kyle uh, Dubas. Um, we uh, we now have, as members of the Toronto Maple Leafs, T.J. Brody, Wayne Simmons, Zach Bogosian, uh, a few others that... Uh, are probably not going to be challenging for jobs on the Leafs, maybe challenging for jobs on the Marlies. And we are short. Andreas Janssen, uh, Tyson Berry. I probably missed a couple along the way. CC. Is CC gone? Yeah. Where'd he end up? No, he's a, he's a free agent. Nobody yeah. signed him okay. yet. Okay, he, has, he hasn't signed anywhere else yet, though. No. I guess they're not lined up for him. Anyways, uh, guys, I want your reaction. Um you know, we talked to Pierre Dorian last Sunday. We got the Ottawa Senators' perspective. They had a pretty good week. Uh, you know, Matt Murray signing, I thought, was was a, was a really good one for the Senators. Uh, thought they did well in the draft. Leafs didn't have much going on in the draft. They drafted this Russian kid, I think, in number 15 that I'd never heard of. And uh, sort of, you know, Kyle pulls those, uh, pulls those moves in drafts. Um, uh, and then we've got Brody, Simmons, and Bogosian. Guys, your reaction to that, uh, is this going to make a substantial difference in Leafland, or are we just shuffling the ch- shuffling the chairs on the deck of the Titanic here? Go ahead. 
I think you're shuffling the deck on the Titanic here because they really haven't improved. They just exchange players. And the draft, they're supposed to get bigger and they hire up, they, they draft all these little guys. I don't know what's going on, Walton. Yeah, the, 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 the Russian kid, I think, um, uh, is, is small in stature, but apparently he was playing in, in the KHL last year, so he's playing with men. You know, time will tell. I, I don't know much about him, so. You know, I don't. I, I guess it's easy to be critical at this stage. Let, let's let's see what he does. But yeah, I mean, we've we, Leafs have a last few years. We're picking small, skilled guys, but they tried to do something different. Let's forget about the draft. Um, let's look at who they signed. Wayne Simmons. You know, he's he's got some grit, no question. Good hockey player. Uh, uh, Bogosian just coming off a Stanley Cup victory. T.J. Brody, five million, four years. Uh, Lou. Uh, Simmons, my guess is he's probably a little bit past his prime. Uh, Bogosian, I guess, fits in, I don't know where in the depth chart, probably, uh, fifth or five. I don't know. Uh, Brody is the, uh, you know, they're, they, they added a couple of right-hand defensemen. Um, are these guys difference makers in any sense whatsoever, Luke? I, I, I really don't think so. Uh, what it looks like is, you know, Grosjean is going to act, add a little bit of grit or a little bit more than uh, than Cody Cece did. Uh, you saw his contributions in the Stanley Cup Finals this year with uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mind you, you look at the defense that the Tampa had compared to what the Leafs have. Um, the Wayne Simmons, I I thought they should have got Wayne Simmons a couple of years ago, not now uh, after the last couple of years that he's had. But if he can add anything, it's going to be a little bit of grit. Again. Uh, I don't think Kyle Clifford's going to be coming back because he's a UFA also. Uh, trading Johan, uh, Andres Johansson there is a, was a great move uh, to get rid of some salary cap. Uh, I think right now they've moved uh, sideways. You know, Brody's probably going to take up the, the space that uh, Tyson Berry had, uh, but he's a left-handed shot. So it, it's great to move sideways. I'm not sure if they got one more move or if they're clearing any more cap Space for for one other big guy, whether it's Petrangelo or not, uh, I, I couldn't tell you right now. But it, it seems like uh, they've added a little bit more grit than last year, but they've moved sideways uh, talent-wise and, and overall stature. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I mean, you, you look through at, you look through the signings, and there were lots of them. Yeah, and when this broke uh, a few days ago, and you know, there's you know, you go online and there's a really lengthy list of a whole bunch of guys that signed in the one two million dollar range. It, it seems the GM sort of restrained themselves this year. They weren't throwing money around like they're used to. Mind you, Taylor Hall and, and Alex Petrangelo, uh, they're uh, they they haven't been signed yet, so we don't know. Uh, where their numbers are going to go in. I want you to analyze for me, guys, the T.J. Brody uh, signing. Um, well, four years, I thought. A very, very serviceable uh, defenseman. He played with a, a great Italian defenseman in Calgary, and Mark Giordano. So <laughs> I think they got somebody that's going to play the right side with a left-handed shot. He's going to consume probably anywhere from 18 to 22 minutes a game. Um, again, he's going to be a lot better than, uh, than Tyson Berry was on a defensive side. I'm not sure if he's going to add the uh, the offensive numbers that Tyson Berry could have had. 
and uh, the Bogosian deal, I guess, obviously, you know, we're going to find out. Is it a right-handed shot that uh, he's a kid that's coming close to home to play? Uh, $5 million. It, it, TJ Brody, I haven't watched them much. Obviously, when, you, when you're out in Calgary and, and on the West Coast, it's tough to watch but watch these guys play. Um, $5 million, 40 years, is that just about right, guys? Naz? In this market, that's just about right, for sure. Bogosian was a high pick in the draft. I think, I think he was in the top five. Oh, he was, uh, he was, I think he was number four. Was he not in the Luke Shen draft, guys? Do you remember? He was number three. Uh, yeah, Bogosian, wasn't that the year a whole bunch of defensemen uh, went and then uh, and they scrambled to, uh, to, to to trade up to get Leafs traded up to get Luke Shen? Memory oh, right, serves you're, me right. You're right there, Wally. Was, I think he's number four behind uh, Petrangelo and between Shen. Yeah, I think he was part of that draft, and I think there was a it was it was defense laden, and he was considered a blue chip prospect. I think he was a Peterborough Pete. Yep, in in the in the OHL and uh, came highly rated. He certainly, you know, he, you know, he's not that old, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's only thirty. So, uh, you know, sometimes these guys, you know, I mean, he, you know, he he won a Stanley Cup in Tampa Bay. I mean, I don't know how many minutes he was playing in the playoffs, but uh, he, he was in and out of the lineup with Tampa Bay during the playoffs. Oh, he was so in he, and out. I think okay. he is a six seventh defenseman on Tampa Bay. Yeah, so uh, I mean, but you know, it's one million bu- one million dollars at uh, one million dollars at uh, for one year. I mean, you're not it's not a tremendous risk, obviously. Brody, at um, you know, I've heard some critics say you know they should have you know he got the fourth year that most GMs were willing to go beyond three, but uh, you know, one year between three and four, you know, if he plays, he plays as a player, right? I don't think that one year is going to make a hell of a lot of difference. And Simmons is the, uh, you know, as Howard Cosell used to say, the reclamation project. And uh, good player. always liked his game. Um, you know, he keeps his elbows up. You know, he's, when he's on the ice, he's got some skill. You know, if he can, uh, you know, maybe maybe coming back home, Toronto boy, uh, rejuvenates his game. And if he can, uh, if he can recover 75%, 80% of uh, of what he was at in his prime, that would be a good pickup for the Toronto Maple Leafs, no question. And he seems like he's got leadership abilities, good character, probably uh, good in the dressing room, good with the with the younger players. Um, I, I kind of I, I like that one, um, and I hope it works out for the Toronto Maple Leafs. On that note, uh, guys, we've got to go to break, and uh, we'll be talking Buffalo Bills football with the voice of the Bills. John Murphy. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville introduced contact-free delivery. Order and prepay online and choose contact-free delivery. The driver will place your order on your doorstep in a nice, clear, protective bag. Then he'll politely stand back two metres and call the number on the receipt. Once you answer the door, he'll give you a little toodaloo and off he goes. Contact-free delivery from pizzaville.ca or the Pizzaville app. Are you real ready? 
If you're a real estate agent, we can help you sell more homes. A business owner, we'll help show it off to the community at large. And if you're a homeowner, we'll supply accurate floor plans for every room in your home. Because selling property is all in the details. Real Tours Media. Creators of 3D virtual tours, walkthrough video, HDR photography, logos and brands. Check out the one-stop shop for successful real estate agents. Realtoursmedia.ca There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on the new AM740 in downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM. Live streaming on the internet, www.zoomeradio.ca. Certainly a privilege to welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, the voice of the Buffalo Bills, John Murphy. Good morning, John. How are you this morning? Good morning, fellas. Doing well. Thank you. We appreciate you uh, taking the time for us. Thanks so much. I will tell you, we're uh, Naz and Wally, and uh, a lot of our listeners are excited about the Buffalo Bills start. Uh, we're trying to check back how long it's been since the Bills started 4-0. and I think it was 2008. I'm not entirely sure, John, if you can set the record straight for us, that'd be great. And give us your observation. Uh, we're excited. Is there a lot to be excited about? Yeah, it, it was 2008, as a matter of fact. They started 4-0. They, and this is the part I'm reluctant to bring up. They finished <laughs> that year. Uh, they, I think they lost uh, eight of their last ten, and they finished that year uh uh, seven and nine. So it wasn't a good year. They started out well. Uh, I don't think we're looking at that kind of a year. My observations, um, I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're surprising. First of all, offensively, there's such a, a powerhouse offensively. There's a second ranked passing attack in the NFL. I, I didn't see that coming. I thought they'd be, again, another strong defensive unit that they've had the last three years or so. I thought that would continue. And their defense has been okay, but the offense has more than made up with it, uh, made up for it. Josh Allen has been great. Uh, he's uh, answered every uh, question that was, uh, you know, laid his way over the last couple of years, and and gone beyond that. He's one of the best quarterbacks right now playing in the NFL. So, so we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Uh, we're a quarter of the way through the season. They're off to a great start. I mean, the one thing, <laughs> the one thing they got to get through is uh, the uncertainty about COVID. And now they await uh, word on what happens to their next scheduled game. They're supposed to play Tuesday night in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, the Titans had another positive COVID test. Apparently, a, an assistant coach uh, tested positive, which uh, puts that game, I think, in doubt a little bit, whether they travel them to, uh, tomorrow to Nashville to play the Tennessee Titans on Tuesday. That'll be, I think, by my unofficial count, about two dozen Tennessee Titans uh, personnel who've uh, 
contracted uh, COVID-19 and uh, whether or not that uh, forces uh, cancellation or postponement of Tuesday's game remains to be seen. We'll find out. Naz, I'll turn it over to you. John, what has uh, Stefan Diggs meant to the uh, offense of the Buffalo Bills? Oh, he's meant everything, really. And, and every, we, you know, Even I feel the other focusing on Josh Allen and how good he's been, but Diggs has been a great acquisition for the Bills, and he's um, you know, he does everything for him. He, he's uh, among the league leader in passes, uh, you know, reception, pass receptions this year. But beyond that, you know, he's a good decoy uh, to get John Brown and Cole Beasley uh, more space to get them open a little bit. He's uh, he's turned out to be a good blocker. He's a great teammate. I think that might have been the, the biggest question mark about him after a, a difficult year where he's productive but not entirely happy in Minnesota last year. I think there were some who questioned, you know, whether he'd be a good team player and whether he'd be uh, he'd be uh, set up for the kind of culture that uh, Sean McDermott has set up here in Buffalo. But he he's gone beyond that. You know, there was an instance last Sunday in the game at the Raiders when uh, end of the first half, towards the end of the first half, Josh Allen came down hard on his left shoulder and he went to the locker room before halftime, and it appeared for a moment that the Bills might have to go to his backup, Matt Barkley, at quarterback. And there were, uh, and you know, TV cameras caught it. Uh, Stephon Diggs went over to the bench, and Matt Barkley was there looking at the uh, the tablets at uh, what the, you know the Raiders were showing him. And Diggs came up and basically encouraged him. And I don't know if any of us uh, uh, forecast that that would be the type of uh, teammate that Stephon Diggs was, but he is. I think he likes the atmosphere here. He likes the the culture here, the team culture here, and he's been uh, he's been extremely productive. He does an awful lot for the Bills so far, for four games in. Uh, John, uh, just so you're aware, we do these shows remotely, have been doing them remotely since March. And joining us this morning uh, uh, helps us out quite a bit. Co-hosting and uh, guest hosting is uh, former Buffalo Sabre, uh, Lou Franceschetti. So I'm going to turn it over to Lou. And uh, Lou, uh, your uh, your questions for John Murphy. John, uh, I, I, I see it this uh, defense that they've had this year has taken a step back from last year. Uh, what are they missing, and uh, uh, and what effect is it going to be uh, to lose Levi Wallace there in, in a uh, secondary? Yeah, hi, good to talk to you, Lou. Yeah, it's a good question. It's four games in. Uh, there were signs in last Sunday's game against the Raiders that the defense was coming around. I mean, it, a lot depends on who your opposition is, obviously, but uh, they were much better against the run, against a very good running back, the Raiders, Josh Jacobs, and I thought they would be, and that's a, that's a good sign. That's been a strength of the Bills for a couple of years. The pass defense, I mean, the numbers show that the pass defense has been a problem. Um, you know, who are they, what are they missing? They're missing a couple of players. Whether or not they're difference makers is up for debate. Star Latulale, who was the big anchor in the middle of the defensive line, opted out because of COVID. Um, Lorenzo Alexander, longtime veteran, outside linebacker, retired. Um, and the guy you mentioned, Levi Wallace, got hurt first quarter last Sunday and was replaced by Josh Norman in his first game with the Buffalo Bills. And he took a while to get up to speed. In the end, he made a very critical uh, a force fumble and uh, fumble recovery. But I think the defense is very much a work in progress. Uh, they, they're accustomed to the scheme. It's the fourth year under uh, uh, Le- uh, Leslie Frazier and um, – Sean McDermott's uh, defensive leadership, so they're accustomed to what they're supposed to do. And moving forward, they're going to, you know, what are they missing? They'll miss Matt Milano for a little while. At least he came up with a a pectoral muscle injury last Sunday, and he has been ruled out of the Tuesday game against the Nashville Titans. Uh, Sean McDermott said his status is week-to-week, which would lead you to believe it's going to be at least a couple of games out. So they have had a couple of injuries. Um, They have had a couple of different 
bodies in the defensive lineup, but they're coming along, I think. And, you know, I think that is a work in progress that needs to be better as they move forward. They've been okay, and they haven't been awful, but uh, it's just different because it's, or it's just jarring because it's so different than the way they played defense for a couple of years now. Uh, I know it's, uh, we're talking to uh, John Murphy, the voice of the Buffalo Bills. John, I know it's early uh, in the season, but this was supposed to be a really, it may end up still being, depending on the scheduling, supposed to be a pretty big week for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Obviously, the Tennessee Titans uh, undefeated. And then later on in the week, they were supposed to get the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I think that was supposed to be Thursday. It's been rescheduled for next Sunday. And with uh, the Titans game uncertain, we we don't know where we're going with that. But Chiefs Stanley uh, Stanley Cup uh, Super Bowl champions uh, also undefeated. So the Buffalo Bills were headed. To, we were really going to find out, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, what they were made of this week. Um, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Titans, Chiefs, Le- Bills were going to go into those two games. Uh, is there a sense? From what you're sensing around the league, that the Bills have uh, have become an elite team. Yeah, um, well, I don't know about elite, but I think they're pretty good. You know, I think they still, in many people's eyes, have something to prove. And and I think the game against the Chiefs was an opportunity to prove uh, that sort of thing. Elite or, or I don't know, elite is questionable. But um, and look, the Chiefs game uh, now originally. <laughs> It's so complicated, but originally when the Bills-Titans uh, game was moved to Tuesday, the Chiefs game was moved to uh, Sunday, next Sunday, a week from today. But now that uh, there's a new report about uh, problems in Tennessee with another positive COVID test, uh, the, the league, uh, if, uh, when they set up the Sunday game, they said uh, the Chiefs and Bills will play Thursday and, and, unless uh, uh, the Bills play Tuesday. So. Who knows? The Chiefs might be here Thursday night, any, you know, regardless, depending on what the league decides what to do. Um, but I don't know that they're regarded as elite yet. I think they're regarded as a rapidly improving team, a surprise team with a very good offense. And, uh, again, the, the Chiefs game, I think, was going to be sort of the, the fulcrum of the first half of the season anyway. It's going to be the maybe the deciding factor on how good the Bills are. So whether or not that game is played this Thursday or next Sunday remains to be seen. Um, we'll find out. And I think that we'll the Bills from Kansas City, the defending Super Bowl champions, will go a long way towards determining, you know, where, where Buffalo stands in the, in the NFL lineup right now. Nas, John, is Josh Allen the next Jim Kelly? Uh, I've heard <laughs> uh, comparisons. I think that's an easy comparison because you know Kelly played here and he was a dominant uh, figure here. Um, but I, I don't want to, you know, Jim Kelly's a Hall of Famer. I don't want to put that on Josh Allen's shoulders just yet. Josh Allen is very good and and. You know, he is, people look at, people on the outside want to talk about how much better he is, how much change as a quarterback. And I don't really see that much change. I see a steady, uh, progression, uphill progression for Josh. He's better now than he was as a rookie two years ago, but it hasn't been a dramatic leap. Uh, and, and here's the thing. Josh works at it. I mean, he really works at it. Uh, uh in the offseason, he spends uh, most of his offseason with a quarterback coach out in Southern California, Jordan Palmer. We talked to him in February. He was talking about how they're working on his deep passing game. Well, you can see the evidence of improvement there just in four games so far this year. Uh, Josh works at it. He's very intelligent. He, um, he, he, again, comparisons to Kelly notwithstanding, I think he's, uh, he's, he's a great teammate. He's a uh, big and strong, bigger and, and, you know, stronger than Kelly. And Kelly was pretty big. He can run with the football, demonstrated that in the opener against, uh, against the, uh, uh New York Jets. 
Uh, he's different than Kelly. You know, somebody came up with a comparison this week. He's, you know, a lot like John Elway. Well, maybe he is. Uh, maybe he's a lot like Cam Newton. Some people look at him as a, as a Cam Newton type. He certainly is Cam Newton size. Uh, I mean, Josh is his own man. I hate to put, you know, the Jim Kelly label on him because, again, Kelly was a Hall of Famer and, and deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. And I don't know that Josh is, is that good yet. And Josh has flaws. He's not a, an outstanding, uh, you know, accurate passer, but he's better than he ever has been. He's completing 70% of his passes now. So we'll see. I mean, he's, he's, uh, two years and four games into his NFL career. I think he's got a lot more to show and a lot more to prove. And I think he will. Uh, I'm going to run this around really quickly. John, I know we have to let you go. Uh, Lou, uh, last question from you and then I'll wrap it up. Uh, how much difference has Brian DeBall made to, uh, to this offense and how well has uh, Josh, uh, Allen really bought into, uh, his schemes? Yeah, a lot. Uh, and Coach Dable, the offensive coordinator, has, uh, you know, and he's in his third year here. And I think he now feels comfortable with a full complement of weapons, in particular, Stefan Diggs, who you asked about earlier, and some of the other receivers. I think Coach Dable feels uh, uh, confident that he can ask this offense to do some different things. And Josh Allen is totally bought into the scheme. And he's at now in his third year into it. And he understands what some of the concepts are of this offense and understands what uh, he should and shouldn't do. And that's been, that's been big for Josh's confidence. And, 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 and I was talking about Josh a minute ago, Josh Allen, he, and not only is he smart and works hard, he's very confident, you know, and uh, that, you know, you want your quarterback to be confident in his arm and in his ability. And certainly he is that. And I think he has uh, command of this offense, Josh Allen do. And that's a testament to the coaching job that Brian Dable has done. And, and the quarterback coach as well, uh, Ken Dorsey, has done a good job of, uh, uh, instilling the basics of this offense to Josh Allen. One of, one of the bigger, and uh, last question before I let you go, um, John, one of the bigger questions in the end, and one of the bigger uh, spotlights in the NFL this season, of course, is uh, Tom Brady in Tampa and Cam Newton in New England. Uh, your early, uh, aside from the fact that I think Tom Brady prefer not to have to play against Nick Foles anymore. Uh, your your, uh, your comments on the early returns on both of these, uh, on Tom Brady in Tampa and Cam Newton in New England. Um, well, let me start with Brady. And, uh, I, you know, I don't think he's fallen off the table, but certainly there's, uh, you know, a gradual uh, diminishment of his uh, skill set, right? We saw it in the last couple of years when he's playing with the Patriots, and I think that that continues this year and that Monday night game where he lost track of the downs, uh, that, that just didn't happen to Tom Brady a couple of years ago. So he was 42 years old. I don't think anyone, any of them, anyone would expect a quarterback to be at the peak of his, uh, his, uh, skill set at age 42, but, um, he's still good and still is a good leader. But, um, I, I don't know that he is a, a championship level quarterback anymore. Um, Cam Newton, um, He's been okay. I'm not a, a big fan. I think, uh, again, he's getting great coaching from Belichick and the crew in New England, and they put him in position to succeed. Uh, I, I think the Patriots have issues beyond who their quarterback is, though, and I, I, I think the Bills are clearly the best group of talent in the AFC East, and the Patriots obviously will have to be heard from him. The Bills haven't played him yet. They won't play him again for another couple of weeks, but um, Cam Newton, to me, is... Uh, a better than average quarterback. I don't know, if, uh, and I'm talking about the whole picture here. He can do things that other quarterbacks can't do, no question. But I don't know that he's a, a dominant, uh, elite level quarterback in the NFL. I've been talking to John Murphy. John, uh, we always appreciate you taking the time uh, for us. It's always a privilege, and even better when we're talking to you when the Bills are four and zero. 
Uh, we're certainly excited about the Bills. Uh, Naz and I have been Bills fans. Uh, I've been a Bills fan since the 60s when Jack Kemp and Albert DeBinion were there. Uh, we, we, we loved the early 90s with Marv Levy and Jim Kelly and that, and that gang. And uh, hopefully the Josh Allen, Sean McDermott, uh, Stevon Diggs, hopefully this gang will set their own history as well. We're certainly looking forward to it, and we appreciate you coming on to share it with us. Really appreciate it, John. My pleasure. Thanks, fellas. Thanks so much. John Murphy, the voice of the Buffalo Bills. Uh, we're going to go take it to break. When we come back, we'll have a senior writer from The Athletic. Sean Fitzgerald, and we're going to be talking about the shutdown of minor hockey in the biggest minor hockey league in the world, the GTHL. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville introduced contact-free delivery. Order and prepay online and choose contact-free delivery. The driver will place your order on your doorstep in a nice, clear, protective bag. Then he'll politely stand back two metres and call the number on the receipt. Once you answer the door, he'll give you a little toodaloo and off he goes. Contact free delivery from pizzaville.ca or the Pizzaville app. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. Are you real ready? If you're a real estate agent, we can help you sell more homes. A business owner? We'll help show it off to the community at large. And if you're a homeowner, we'll supply accurate floor plans for every room in your home. Because selling property is all in the details. Real Tours Media. Creators of 3D virtual tours, walkthrough video, HDR photography, logos and brands. Check out the one-stop shop for successful real estate agents. Realtoursmedia.ca There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigobon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigobon Carly, the intelligent choice. The only thing I love more than sports is sports radio. Take it away, boys. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Also joining us this morning, Lou Franceschetti. And we're also pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, senior national writer for The Athletic. Sean Fitzgerald. Sean, good morning, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, and thank you for having me. It's uh, certainly our pleasure. Uh, Sean, uh, I'm, a, I'm a loyal subscriber of The Athletic. I love, I love reading it. It's got the best sports writers, or many of the best sports writers around, uh, intelligent, incisive, analytical articles, and uh, must say you're one of my favorites. And last, last week you wrote an article about... Uh, the GTHL uh, canceling all sanctioned programming through the rest of 2020. Uh, that announcement um, 
obviously with COVID-19 running, uh, running significantly increased numbers in the, in the greater Toronto area, the GTA tell, I take it had, uh, really caught between a rock and a hard place in a lot of ways. Um, as, as most people, decisions makers are these days trying to balance the risks of a pandemic disease with trying to keep a normal society running and I the greatest respect for all the people who have to make those types of decisions tell us about your article and uh, where the GTHL stands right now yeah so originally the, the Greater Toronto Hockey League which is the largest minor hockey organization not just in Canada but on the planet um, with, you know, tens of thousands of children, uh, not just in the competitive stream, but right down to house league. So this decision has wide ranging effects. So, you know, they originally on September 1st returned, um, issued its return to play protocol. And that's a, a big document laying out how it planned to get kids back on the ice. And it started in September by, you know, teams weren't allowed on the ice, but they were allowed to sort of have paper tryouts. So that's to say, Okay, look, like we have we have limits we have to work within. There's there's limits on the number of people we can have in our building. How can we build our programming that we can, you know, maybe have just ten kids on the ice or twenty kids on the ice and how can we work this without parents in the stands? And then on October seventh, kids and teams were supposed to start slowly returning to the ice. The problem is is that, you know, as we all know now, that the, the second wave of this thing, of this coronavirus and, and the disease it causes, COVID nineteen, just, you know, really hit its stride after Labor Day and is now, you know, potentially running out of control in Toronto. So uh, days before kids were supposed to return to the ice, uh, the Greater Toronto Hockey League board met um, to discuss what they're going to do. Now, this happened one day after Dr. Eileen Davila, Toronto's Medical Officer of Health, uh, sent a list of recommendations to the province. And, and part of those recommendations were that, you know, you close indoor dining, that you, you know, for a period of 28 days, you close gyms and also uh, close down team sports. Now, she also said she didn't have the power. She'd been advised by city lawyers that she didn't have the power to enact this herself. So she was waiting on the province. The GTHL board didn't want to wait for the province to decide what was going on. So uh, they met and they closed things down until at least January 4th. So that means that there's no GTHL games. That means there's no house leagues. That means there's no sanctioned practices. Nothing with the GTHL banner can go forward. Now, the complicating factor is here um, is that teams and parents and everybody else uh, can still rent ice because the city arenas are at this moment still open as our private facilities. So there's still lots of youth hockey going on. It's just now kind of a Wild West situation out there. Naz, I'll turn it over to you. Sean, the OMHA, what are they doing? I, I know in King Township they're having you know, kids play house league. Well, house league. What's happening in the OMHA? Yeah, so the OMHA is just a giant body. So in, the way it works in, in Canada, it starts with, you know, Hockey Canada is the national governing body, and then it goes down into a bunch of different, largely provincial umbrellas. So here in Ontario, we have a couple of different provincial umbrellas. There's there's Hockey uh, Northwest, there's there's Hockey East Ontario, and then there's the Ontario Hockey Federation. And then under the Ontario Hockey Federation, you know, fall the GTHL, the OWHA for, for women's hockey, and the OMHA. And the Ontario Minor Hockey Association runs from basically, I think it's Kingston down to Windsor. So it's just a massive 
stretch of different municipalities and regions. And, you know, even more so than the GTHL, that's complicated because mm-hmm. the GTHL is in Mississauga, Toronto, and, and parts of Vaughan. Um, but the OMHA covers these huge areas where parts of it are almost entirely untouched by COVID-19. And parts of it border or are in uh, real hotspots. So it's in a difficult position. It hasn't taken the stance yet that the GTHL has of suspending um, you know, uh, sanctioned activities, in part because it's in that really difficult situation that um, if you close it in, say, I don't know, Brampton, um, what does that mean for people up in, say, Peterborough, where the numbers aren't quite the same? So, yes, um, there is programming operated, but I, I'm, I would suspect that as the numbers continue to grow, the OMHA might have to take a look at, you know, some of what the the GTHL has done. It's also worth noting here, gentlemen, that the OWHA, the Ontario Women's Hockey Association, hasn't yet shuttered its operations yet. It's still running sanctioned programming as well for girls um, under its umbrella. Yeah, uh, Sean, I just I, I can't pretend to be an expert, but I did a little bit of uh, googling uh, uh, early this morning, and what I what I found is some of the some of the other minor hockey associations, for example, the Guelph Minor Hockey Association, and I suspect some of the other hockey associations outside of the GTHL is they're continuing their programs, but they're saying is they're they're maintaining their players within their municipalities, so. Uh, for example, if you're playing house league hockey or rep hockey in Guelph, you're, you're not going outside. You're, you're sort of cocooning within your municipality. So they're, they're sort of canceling the traveling aspect of it, but trying to keep the local aspect of it going. Uh, you may know better than I, uh, haven't had a lot of time to look into it. Um, I think that's where some of the, and it's sort of each, each association is seemingly left to, uh, create their own uh, their own rules and uh, and and how they go forward on a go forward basis. Uh, at this point, Lou, uh, I know you've been heavily involved in minor hockey over the years. I'll turn it over to you for uh, any questions or comments. Uh, yeah, I was, how's you, the GTHL handling this uh, outlaw hockey that they're having right now for for kids at all levels, uh, and um, how far are they going to let this I'm not even going to call it a league because there are games being played with uh, West referees that have their jerseys turned inside out <laughs> yeah it's a really interesting question and honestly that one hasn't been fully answered so it's it's the Ontario Hockey Federation it's it's their rule and and this has been in place for a while and, and it really is an interesting discussion off to the side that you know originally when the world was supposed to resume on hockey on October 7th that um, the OHF had a rule that said, look, like you can play in these outlaw leagues, but by September 30th, you better get your butt back into GTHL or OHF programming, or you're not going to be allowed to compete under our umbrella. So, you know, if you're playing in one of these outlaw leagues, you know, the private operators, you know, outside the system, um, if you're playing in those, you have to be done by the end of September or you can't return to your AAA team. Okay. Well, you know, many of those leagues ended, you know, September 30th and, and everybody was supposed to get back on the ice for, you know, with their regular teams on October 7th. But now that's not the case. So what we're seeing is a lot of these other, again, so-called outlaw leagues have been popping up. And some of them have been emailing coaches, as I'm sure you've, you've probably heard, Lou, like, you know, for $14,000 a team, you can sign up and play from mid-October to the end of December. And by the way, that $14,000 is non-refundable. What the OHF hasn't yet done is it hasn't said, 
you know, okay, well, we're extending that window. That okay, since since there's no GTHL programming, you know, as long as you're back, as long as you're done in this outlaw league by December 30th, you're fine. It hasn't said anything like that. So what we're operating in right now is a real gray zone. Now, for most kids, that shouldn't matter. Like if you have a nine-year-old, like yeah, fine, you can practice with your team in unsanctioned programming, but. There is no real need to go play in a renegade league right now. The issue where I do have more sympathy is, you know, kids who are, you know, the 2005 year. If you're born in 2005, you're 15 years old, you're heading into your OHL draft year. And there are real stakes, you know, as far as real stakes go in hockey, there are real stakes involved here. And I think the OHF is still trying to decide how it's going to message that, how it's going to send that updated um, requirement um, to get back into, you know, the fold to get back into umbrella programming and and say like you know you can play in these renegade leagues because you have to be seen by scouts up until this point they haven't made that decision yet uh sean what are you hearing back from parents and players um i guess not so much more at the eight or nine year old level but as you really as you just touched on it um you know, players when they get up to 12, 13, 14, 15, and you know whatever they uh, they have their own opinions on these things. If they do, <laughs> seven and eight year olds have opinions as well, but uh, parents, what what are you hearing back? It really runs the gamut. So you have parents who say, you know, look, we're in a global pandemic. You know, very few people um, on this earth right now have living memory of living, you know, through a pandemic of this size. Like, you know, it's it's affecting everybody. There's there's real risks involved. And, you know, the most important thing is to keep kids in school and keep the schools open. Everything else is just sort of an unessential risk, a non-essential risk. So as much as you know, hockey does benefit children. It, it, it benefits certainly their physical health. It benefits their mental health because they, they get to see their friends. As, as much as that benefits them, it is still a recreational activity. It's non-essential. So, you know, there's a group of parents that says, okay, I understand. As long as we keep the schools open, you know, and kids can find other things to occupy themselves until we get this thing beat back and we all get that needle in our arm with the vaccine. There is another group of parents, a significant group of parents that are furious, that think that, you know, this is an overreaction, that there, there haven't been uh, outbreaks traced to minor hockey yet. There haven't been any documented cases that, you know, with all the protocols in place, um, it should be safe to operate and why are we taking this away from children that, you know, children have already borne the brunt of so much of what we've done here that they've, you know, they've lost social networks. They've lost all of these things because they're not allowed to gather together. So there is a wide swath of opinion from people who are upset about it, um, but accept it. And people who are just furious at the decision makers for acting rashly and punishing the children. Naz, last question for Sean. Sean, how uh, are the schools affected that offer hockey programs every day? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's the recreational and the extracurriculars are off the table, um, obviously. Uh, you know, the high school football seasons, just like, you know, in Canadian inter-university sport or youth sport now. Um, yeah, the, the recreational sport, the, the extracurriculars, they're, they're entirely off the table. Uh, Sean, uh, we're going to let you go, but we'd be remiss if we didn't give you the opportunity to uh, toot your own horn a little bit. Uh, you've made time for us. It's the least we can do. Uh, your book is out in paperback before the lights go out. Uh, a season inside a game on the brink is out in paperback. Tell us all about your book and tell our listeners all about your book. 
Oh, thank you very much. I wish, uh, in retrospect, the title hadn't been quite so literal <laughs> before the lights came. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, what it is is it's a, it's kind of a love letter to the game. You know, my wife and I, we have two children, a boy and a girl, and they're both in minor hockey in Canada. And you know, through through that experience, we've we've learned more about our community and the people in the community. We've made more friends. We've we built a stronger social network. Our children have a, a social network outside of school that you know. It, Anybody who's played hockey knows that you know you're more likely to develop long-lasting friendships with people uh, on your team than you might with you know classmates in school who you pass by every every day for a year and sort of move on. So within that, it's sort of an exploration of how you know fewer and fewer Canadians are sort of getting into that boat of of you know really enjoying and embracing and joining that hockey community, and you know lots of the reasons involve money. It's not just the expense of the equipment, it's, it's the expense of the ice, it's the expense of the personal trainers, of the stick handling coaches, the skating coaches, the nutritionists, the mental strength coaches. All of these things are sort of conspiring to make hockey a far more exclusive sport than it used to be. That, you know, the days of Gordie Howe getting a pair of rusty skates out of a rucksack during the Depression and, you know, finding the game, that doesn't happen today unless Gordie, by the age of 12, has somebody to work on his inside and outside edges in a, you know, private skating environment. Um, and what that does fundamentally is change our relationship with the game that, you know, Canadians don't relate to the game of hockey on mass like they used to even a generation ago. And the really scary thing is that, you know, unless things change, unless they find a way, and I'm talking minor hockey administrators, find a way to get communities that aren't in the rinks now, unless they find a way to correct that, you know, hockey really does run the risk of down the road, becoming the Canadian version of polo. Uh, we've been talking to Sean Fitzgerald, senior national writer for The Athletic. You can check out his book. It's now in paperback before the lights go out. Sean, we got to, you know what, we just touched the, we'd love to have you back on to just talk about that entire topic about the future of hockey in Canada. That's uh, certainly, you've uh, you've touched upon it. We, we, we should get you back to talk about that. And thanks so much for joining us. And, uh, letting us know what's going on in minor hockey in the Toronto area. We'll certainly keep an eye on it, and we'll keep an eye on your articles in The Athletic. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Gentlemen, have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and be well and be safe. We'll talk down the road. Thanks so much, Sean Fitzgerald. Guys, we've got about five minutes left. Naz, uh, we've got uh, we've got the NBA Finals are still going. We've got uh, baseball that's headed towards the World Series. We've got uh, Taylor Hall and Alex Pietrangelo that haven't... Uh, haven't signed yet. Uh, guys, uh, I'll turn it over to you. What do you want to talk about? Talk about the Houston Astros. Okay. Oh, well, right now, now. Who are now in against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, what do you want to say about the Houston Astros now? Most hated team in baseball. It should be interesting <laughs> if Los Angeles and Houston make the, make the final. Yeah. Uh, talking about baseball, uh, Lou, uh, your Yankees didn't make it through. They put up a good, they put up a good fight. Uh, I want to I want to throw this this little uh, gem out at you guys uh, in the in the National League. Uh, the Braves have now uh, I guess they're going to the championship series against the Dodgers. The Braves uh, three years ago had lost ninety games in a row. They have now won three National League East titles. Uh, neither the Dodgers or the Braves have lost a game in the playoffs. Is there one person that's connected to both teams that you guys can think of? Antopoulos. Yeah, yeah. 
interesting uh, NASA. We had Alex on the show about three, four years ago. But uh, I, I agree with Louis Antopoulos. Yes. Yeah, Antopoulos. I mean, he's he's done wonders. Uh, you know, quite frankly, since he left Toronto. I mean, where, where this guy goes, it seems like success follows. Uh, what he had. I mean, I don't. Uh, I don't know how much of this Dodger team is is his creation. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure the Dodgers did turn around their fortunes somewhat. After he went to L.A., but certainly the Atlanta Braves, you've got to give him credit for what he's done there. And he's done a remarkable job. Uh, Turn that franchise around. They hadn't been to the postseason in 19 years. Lost nine games, uh, three seasons in a row before he got there. He's taken them to three NL East titles, going to the to the National League Championship Series against the Dodgers. And the, the Braves have not lost a game in the playoffs. And for that matter, neither of the Dodgers. Uh, certainly, Double A. Uh, I don't know what awards he's gotten for Baseball Executive of the Year. I'd have to go Google it. But uh, if he hasn't, he's. Uh, I can't think of a more deserving candidate. Well, you know, Ollie, it starts with pitching. You, you look at what uh, the pitching staff with the uh, Atlanta Braves, Max Fried. Imagine how good these guys would be with Soraka there. They drafted a kid, Anderson, I think fourth or fifth overall uh, a number of years ago. Uh, you look at the Dodgers pitching staff, uh, Bueller, uh, Kershaw. Uh, it, it, it all starts with pitching and these teams have drafted well. Uh, earlier on, they've gotten, they've drafted pitchers that, uh, that are the future uh, mainstays of these uh, organizations and they've moved forward. They've filled in pieces. You know, LA is, uh, loaded with first round picks there with Seager, uh, Bellinger, all these guys. And same with Atlanta. Obviously, Atlanta's got the, uh, a little bit different. Uh, they did make a big trade getting Swanson over from Diamondbacks. Uh, they traded two uh, castaway pictures. Uh, Swanson, I think, was the first or second pick overall coming out of college. Uh, they got Freddie Freeman at first base. Uh, Marcakis decided to uh, opt out, and then he decided to come back because he realized how uh, they had a chance to win a, a world championship. So, I think it all starts with pitching, just like it does with uh, with goaltending in the National Hockey League. Uh, the uh, NAS brought brought us into baseball, and, and the issue of the Houston Astros being the most hated team in baseball, uh, I think that's pretty easy. Um, perhaps the most hated team in sports. Uh, I'll throw it out to you guys. Um, I, I get the part where their 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 cheating was systemic. It was using technology. It was taken to a totally different level. Uh, I'm not so sure every other baseball team over the course of uh, history or even in the last, in, in recent times, are entirely clean either. Um, is, this, uh, is this the pot calling the kettle black? Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> baseball has a history of cheating uh, in, in a lot of different ways. I appreciate the fact that the Astros took it to a completely different level. But is this... Uh, uh, I, I'm a big critic of, uh, and, and you know, I didn't like what the Astros did, and I was, I was, we were on the bandwagon. Maybe we should have a close look at taking that World Series title away from them. Uh, but when other people go accuse the Astros of cheating, um, you know, I'm not so sure everybody's innocent. There's been a lot of spitballs and cork bats and all kinds of different hanky panky over the years in baseball. Your reaction, guys? Go ahead, Ness. Do they have? Uh, do, does Houston have any? They're just like New England Patriots. 
That's what I think. They're they're very hated, and uh, they needed the title taken away from them all for sure. Yeah, I know. Um, we've we've had that uh, we've had that discussion uh, on on the show, and I think uh, I think we concluded that. The, and I think Lou, you were part of that show. That statistics. When they analyzed the statistics between uh, what the Astros, uh, this was in, in, in the time period when the cheating, when, the, when it was going on, the statistics of what they were doing at home were so out, out of proportion or out of whack with their statistics away from home. I mean, it was obvious that it was affecting the results of games. Um, and any 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 statistician or anybody with a with a with a with a with a with, a, with an algorithm uh, could have easily determined that the Astros, on a probability basis, probably won that World Series that perhaps they should not have won. Um, guys, ten seconds each, and then we've got to go. I, I just think that uh, the, the problem that the Astros are having right now, and I think they're probably one of the best four teams uh, left uh, because they're they're hitting on all cylinders. Is the the remorse of the players? They don't care. They don't care. So what? That we note, won a championship. Lou, I, I know oh we God. cheated, but I at the end of the day, we had to, Lou, you know, we Lou, had to play the game. Lou, they're going to cut us off. Naz, last word. Sorry, Lou. Bells will not play on Tuesday. They'll play Thursday against Kansas City. That's what I'm hearing. To all our listeners, Lou, Naz, all our listeners, thank you. Have a great week. Stay safe. We'll be back again next Sunday morning. Thank you. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.